Hi, and thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. Dream 10X land. Hi, James. Hello, Dr. Capel. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Episode 23. What are we talking about tonight? Guess what I did today. I give up. I played with cows. Holy cow. What are they doing? They're outstanding in their field. (laughs) (laughs) That delivery was not good, but whatever. It's my favorite joke of all time. Cows. What were you doing with cows today? Well, my sister uh, owns Avoca Farm out of Paris, Virginia, and they have an organic cow farm with Angus and Wagyu cows. And she had some. What is that? What are those? Big, black, beautiful beasts. (laughs) Some with horns, some not. (laughs) And they're delicious. So many questions. I have so many questions. So, Which I cannot answer. You cannot answer. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll just let go. We're going to ask about the cows? Yeah. Like, what's a Wagyu? What's an Angus? What's different about them? What, what do the horns mean? Oh, that, that none of that I can't answer for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Horses I got. So, um, <clears throat> Karen needed some help on the farm because it was just her today. And so, we had to figure out the entire feeding schedule for about 100 herds. And ended Wait. up... Hundred herds. I mean, hundred herds. Hundred cows. Hundred head. Hundred head. Okay. Is that one herd or multiple herds? Multiple herds. Multiple herds of cattle. Hundred head, and a mix of wagyu and Angus. Yes. Some with horns, some without. Yes, and some babies, and some mamas, and some pregnant mamas, and some who are gonna be on our plates very soon. And some bulls, right? And some bulls. Yep. Yeah. So, okay, what happened? Tell me about it. Oh, my God, it was amazing. So, Karen, um, we got up at 6.30, and then we had to, like, go through the feeding chart to figure out what some of the coding meant. And so there's specific coding and... Coding? What coding? You writing code for cows? Well, when you look at... Yeah, so when you look at it, it says... (laughs) Computer code for cows. (laughs) It is. So you look at it, it says 17 fats. Um, What are you you looking at? uh, So looking at a, a feed chart. But we had to oh, decode feed the feed chart. A feed chart that has codes on it that tells your sister and whoever how to feed the cows. Yes, exactly. Okay. So we had Got to decode it. that. <laughs> well, who wrote it? Who wrote the codes? So Karen was told by somebody else and was trying to oh, okay. write it all down. So she wrote it down and then we had to figure out what she meant. <laughs> so it was processing for the first, because this is the first time she's had to feed. Um, okay. So we had to process like what all of it actually meant and then how to calculate how many buckets. And each bucket holds 30 pounds. What's in a bucket? Feed. And there's different kinds of feed. So there's non-GMO feed. So like non-GMO. And then there's power. GMO means uh, genetically modified organism. Yes, the bad stuff. So it has none of the we bad stuff in it. We don't want genetically modified stuff. No. And then there's another feed that has different stuff in it. 
um, that's called like Power Something. Power <laughs> Power Stripes Power PS. Which is GMO. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not GMO. GMO, but it's like a different, um, more nutrition type food. More nutritional food. Yeah. But it looks exactly the same. So this was, I mean, if you are an organization that is looking for team building on how to communicate, how to solve complex problems in completely ambiguous environments, this is the activity for you. <laughs> Feeding cows? Feeding cows. Oh, because of the ambiguity involved and trying to figure out as a, as a new timer, a newcomer, newbie, uh, cattle rustler, how to take care of the cows. How to take care of them, how many buckets, how many pounds in a bucket, how many buckets you need, how to not mix up the feed when it looks exactly the same. So we ended up color coding the buckets. And there's different kinds of cows too. So you and, gotta, and yep. they probably eat differently, right? They do. And could you tell the difference between an Angus cow and a Wagyu? I couldn't. Karen can, but I'm, so I'm, effect- I'm new. <laughs> do they effectively look the same? To me, to um, the- they looked... The one was a little hairier than the other, but I, there's no way I could tell them apart. That's why it was. It was, yeah. That's what she pointed out, and it had little horns. Hmm. Um, the only one I can tell completely apart is the Highland Goo. <laughs> Does she have those? Yeah. So the we didn't end up feeding those today because they're on hay, and they're up at the top. Those are the ones that I was hanging out with the other day when oh, I went, walked in the snowstorm. I didn't know they had those here. Yeah, yeah, she has too. Yeah. Cool. And the, one of the Highland Coos has a baby coo. <laughs> It's very cute. Oh, that's cool. Uh, do you know anything about why they have this mix of breeds? Um, I think the Highland Qs were for pets. Um, and then the Angus and the Wagyu mm. they bought for beef. Mm. And now they're combining, crossbreeding the Angus and the Wagyu because the Wagyu are really, really delicate. And so to produce a beautifully tasting steak that uh, with a heartier cow, it's um, more sustainable to have that mix. Mm. So they're starting to, but she still has some pure Wagyu out there. So back to feed. Back to feed. Let's go back. Where do you get cow food? So I think you order it from like Southern states or those kind of like big cow, big farm places. And then they come and deliver it. So she has two large bins. So she has an equipment trailer and two very large bins that holds the non-GMO feed. And so you lift up a little handle and the feed just comes pouring out. Hmm. And is it a silo? Is it like a grain silo of food? or They have two grain silos and that's the other place where they keep the power feed. <laughs> the power feed. Okay. The PS, power feed. Um, and that one, it's automatic, but it's broken at the moment. So we had to go in and hand maneuver the lever. Mm. And again, great team building exercise. So uh, her um, teammate, Jessica, stood on the left side. Karen crawled underneath and I stood on the right side. So I'd hand Karen a bucket and the grain would start pouring out. And then as soon as it hit the top, she'd flip it out and move it to Jessica while I was moving the gra- the bucket underneath the to catch the grain. Hand, yep. And Jessica would move it to the truck. So it was like this beautifully smooth transition. But I'm sure grains spilled or food spilled on the floor, right, in that process? Not the way we did it because it was a very smooth, efficient okay. operation. Could you stop the flow of the food? Like Not easily because you have to put the lever manually back down because it happens to be broken at the moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Normally it would just automatically do it. Hmm, so that was fun. Yeah. And then the uh, one in the shed with the GMO, it's there's three buckets and then a lot spilled in 
a larger bucket, so you'd have to scoop and fill up to the top. Okay, so you've put food in these buckets, and then yep. these these are just like regular water buckets that you would use to like wash a car or something, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and they're then, thirty pounds of food each. Thirty the buck thirty pounds of food per bucket. Yep. And so to, in order to calculate, which I thought was interesting, I'm like, so Karen, how do you know you're empty? She's like, I don't even know how you're empty. How the grain silo is empty. Oh, 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 yeah. So obviously you can cr- climb to this top of this, you know, 10-story building mm. and look in, mm. um, but it's more of a math calculation. So you know how much grain you have, and then you know how much it's you're feeding. It's not 10 stories, is it? I don't know. It's really, really high. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's a little bit taller than the barn. Yeah. But everything's big to me because I'm really short. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so you can crawl up to the top and look down, but mm. you're supposed to have the math calculation. You know how much food is in there. You know how much you're taking out and so you know you know every eight days you need to get more food ordered or whatever is it eight days no it's more than that i was just throwing a number out there okay but yeah it's really interesting 30 pounds a bucket that's pretty heavy yeah and so my deadlifts have been were wildly helpful because <laughs> it was pretty easy to pick them both up and move them back two, and forth. Two and, buckets at a time. Yep. And, and then what do you do with the buckets once you get the food in? Yeah. So we uh, we drive up to where the pens are, and there's different pens. Well, wait. You take the you fill, you fill oh, up the bucket, and then you put it in the back of the truck. Okay. So you've got a Ford or F one fifty or two. Yeah, or farm like. truck. Yeah. Farm truck with a flatbed, and you you throw these buckets in the back. Yeah. And then then you drive out to the paddock or what do mm-hmm. they call it up to the different like paddock areas and so they separate the cows based on needs so again the, the fats are the ones that are going to harvest so they get a, a lot more food because we need to fatten them up right before they become steak and then there's the mamas and the babies and they get a special circumstance so there's a whole feeding process and calculation which i do not know but there is a master rancher who is helping Karen determine all of that and he's the one who said this is this is how we need to move forward mm. um and then we had the babies <laughs> and the babies were so cute so we have a great Dane and the babies were about her size mm. and they were <laughs> they were um a little skittish but you know they they were less skittish than the big cows and then there's just one little baby and she just came up and you gave me kisses and lots of love. And Tell me you did not kiss a cow. Yep, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> she gave me a kiss. Well, if we don't get COVID, I'll get mad cow disease or something like that. No, she's cute. So how did you, how was feeding, why did you have to feed babies? Why doesn't the mother feed the baby? So once you wean them, then they need, once they're weaned, then they need grain what does that to mean, survive. Weaned? That means they stop sucking on the mom's teat. Oh, so, okay. So you were feeding them grain, not milk. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Except for the one baby who, obviously, so Karen has ones called pink tags. And the pink tags are the ones that are super friendly, ended up just as pets. <laughs> Why? Why? Why would you make a cow a pet? Because they're super friendly. They're... <laughs> Why wouldn't you make a cow a pet? <laughs> that's a great personality. We're making it a pet. And yeah, eat. exactly. Because then they're fun and they're still part of the herd and part of the family. And R- this... Really? Yeah, for real. So the cow will just get old here yep. and not be slaughtered. Yeah, like Karen's um, special pet, Agent 35, that she's had for ever since they moved here. Agent 35 is beautiful. She's a um, big black cow and she's got a white face. She's gorgeous. And Karen's even ridden her bareback more than once. 
Never to be slaughtered, just to hang out yep. in the field. And... Just hang out and be a cow and get loved. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And Binky, the one that I fed today, is going to be the same. So I actually got to hand feed with a bottle one of the babies. <laughs> that, um... So I'm curious, what uh, what's the cutoff to, to not go to the slaughter? What, what, what are the characteristics of the cow that make it like a big set dog? Aside? Like a big dog comes up, loves you, says, "I love you, pet me, let's hang out." Versus the ones you, that are skittish. How do you how, how do they keep it distinct from the rest of the herd? They literally have a pink tag on their. Oh, ear. pink tag. Okay. Yeah. Saying no, no, no. I'm a keeper. I'm a pet. How many pink tags are there? I don't know. I think there's like five. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's not a significant. Obviously, the Highlands are pink. Um, yeah. Okay. I don't. Is that a business decision or? <laughs> It just doesn't seem like, whatever. Okay, it was big tags. But. Well, especially like if you have people coming to visit, you want some cows that people can interact with versus, okay. I mean, because this is an educational farm too. Yeah, people come here to learn. You don't want them petting the mean cows. You want some nice yeah, cows. The bull, don't, don't go pet the bulls. Do the bulls eat something different? No. No, they just eat less. They eat less? Mm-hmm. Why would they eat less? I would think they would eat more or something high in testosterone or something. High in protein. Yeah, no, they they eat the grain, but it's just less of it. So they, they like, I think, um, then you have to keep the bulls, like, separate. Unless they're with a herd of heifers, you have to keep them one-on-one or else they'll try and fight each other. Mm. So there's mm. two bulls in one pen and then one bull in another and then one bull with the heifers. Did you go in the pen with the bulls? Karen went in the pen with the, the bulls themselves. I went in the pen with the bull with the heifers. Oh, wow. And he was like... Looking at you. Yeah. Yeah. And I looked at him back. And then I backed away slowly. (laughs) I said, I'm going to feed you now and put some food in your trough and back away slowly. (laughs) Wow. Okay. So all of these buckets full of food are in the back of the truck. You drive up to the the field or paddock or whatever. Is it Mm -hmm. paddock or field or what do you call it? So for horses, it's a paddock. For cows, I'm not really sure. Field? That's a good question. And then there's just a trough out there? Yeah. It's like a metal long trough. Mm-hmm. So you start on one end, you start pouring on one end, and make sure you pour evenly all the way across the with trough. With each bucket? With each bucket. Do you fill, is the intent to fill the trough all the way up? Fill it all the way up and evenly across, or else the bigger cows will will eat it all and push away the small cows. So you need to make sure the trough is long enough and it's even all the way across so the small cows can get in there too. And, um, okay. So you fill it up? Yep. Uh, and how do you fill it up when the, uh, I'm sure the cows are like starting to eat as soon as you put the first bit of food in. How do you keep the cows away while you're filling it up? You know, it's really interesting. They, they are wait? not super excited about humans. And as soon as you walk towards them, they're like, whoa. And they start backing away slowly. <laughs> Just like we do with the bulls. <laughs> so they like scatter when you walk towards. They're not super, so hence why... The ones who really like humans and want to come up and say, you bit me! They want a pink tag to keep around for, you know, interaction, human interaction, Mm. and education purposes. So, okay. So that willingness to approach a human is a somewhat unique character trait in a cow. Yes, exactly. What a smart evolution. I wonder if they knew about that. You know, that's what Karen says all the time. Like the ones who say, kiss the ring. The one who says, I do not want to be steak. Interesting. Yeah. So I popped out when we took a break for a minute and asked Karen the difference between Wagyu and 
Angus and how you actually tell the difference. And she said, Wagyu are a little bit smaller and more delicate. And she did say some have horns, some don't, but they're definitely more delicate and they're a little bit more brown than the Angus. So I thought that was interesting too. Hmm. And they're, uh, the meat that she's selling now is the F1, so it's the actual crossbreeding and half and half between Wagus and Angus. <laughs> Wagyu. It's a Wangus. It's a Wangus. <laughs> Wagyu and Angus, yep. <laughs> huh. No rationale between why some cows have horns and others don't? Is this like a hair versus no hair? I'm thing, sure or? an actual cowboy would know or a cowgirl. <laughs> oh. But the cow Cindy has no idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I grew up in San Antonio and as a kid, I always wanted, when I grew up, I yeah. always wanted to own a ranch. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted a whole herd of long horn cattle. Yeah, so there's a there's a, a, a large management aspect to that. Oh, yeah. And you want to make sure you get it right because it's, you can make expensive mistakes. Absolutely. Mistakes. Get it? <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was really exciting and fun and just so energizing. Like I have not been this energized in a long time. Hmm. And I could totally see working here full time. Yeah. Doing this. Like waking up right every morning, getting with a team, doing this process feeding the cows, having that immediate satisfaction of getting things done quickly in the outdoor environment and working with, I really miss working with animals. I didn't realize how much I miss that. Well, you have a history of animal care, right? True. <laughs> I was in the vet a... industry for a long time. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I noticed, I was surprised after I talked with you at the end of the day, how energized you were yeah. and excited to be working with animals and <laughs> doing this I'm, I'm, I'm shocked I'm, I'm happy to see you that much energy coming from you yeah normally at the end of the day I'm like oh my god can we go to bed yet <laughs> fascinating yeah hmm. so just being outside and, and being with nature and being with and it's cold and wind I mean it's blowing probably 20 oh, knots yeah. today and, and it's like 28 degrees and it's, it's snowing, snowing. <laughs> and I loved every minute really yeah I could do this every day and be completely happy are you sure about that? Be more, yeah, I, I totally could. I mean, obviously, there would be days, but... Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like... It, so when we talk about Saira and building land and castles and having animals out there, like, good, I'm good. So it's cool. Like, I got excited about the horses, obviously, because that's kind of my genre. Oh, yeah. And uh, There's horses? Well, she has uh, two minis and a donkey. So. What purpose do these horses serve here on this farm? So uh, the donkey has been here. It came with the farm. And she's really old and she's really awesome. And she was the nanny to an Olympic horse that uh, passed away uh, three or four years ago. What about the two minis? What purpose do they serve? Yeah, so when the, again, horses can't be alone. They, they're part of a herd. Mm-hmm. So when the Olympic horse passed away, they needed another horse for the donkey. <laughs> so the two minis make up one horse? Well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so they ended up with one of the minis a few years ago. And mm-hmm. then recently, um, Karen procured another piece of land. Mm-hmm. And with that came another oh, mini. Okay. So she's new. Princess is new. Princess is super cute. <laughs> and <laughs> <That's> they're... <laughs> yes. 
And so um, now she has, yeah, the two minis and the donkey. Okay, so, and they're here just to keep the donkey happy, and the, and the donkey's there to keep, so it's kind of a recursive relationship. It's a big herd, yes. Okay. It's a big family. <laughs> just keep everybody happy. Exactly. Okay. Well, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And, and you were just equally as happy. Oh, I was in heaven. So it was just an absolutely amazing day. It was the teamwork with um, the kids and Karen and I, just Karen and I, and then Jessica tonight, because we had to feed again this evening. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, like just how we all worked together, like a smooth operation and got these animals fed and, again, solved complex problems and really worked with the animals and it was just the most rewarding thing I've done in a long time. I'm so time. glad. You, look, you just are beaming and I'm full of energy. Happy. And I'm really glad to see that. Yeah. That's awesome. So a hundred herd of cat hundred head of cattle yeah. you fed twice today. Yes. With basically three people. Three, yes. Three mm-hmm. people and some kids. And about two hundred and twenty five pounds per feeding. Two hundred and twenty five pounds of food per feeding. Yeah. It doesn't seem like that much. It's a lot of buckets. You've been through this process as a first first timer. Yep. I think your sister kind of has two today. Yeah. What are your takeaways for how to improve it? How to improve the profit? Yeah. Process? So automation. Um, one, the buckets are not efficient. If there was, a, and apparently there is a system that you can put in the back of a pickup that you would drive through and put it in the buckets versus doing the manual labor. But it at the same like time, the manual silo. labor is what I like. But I yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You, you like getting that workout. Yeah, and making sure all the equipment actually is functional, I think would make a significant difference. Like the, the silo didn't work. We right. had to go in and manually do that. Yeah, and that's um, that your equipment has to work or it just sucks up your time. Yeah, totally. And there's a lot to do around the farm. Yeah. There's so I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting here just like, oh my God, I can't believe how much work there is. We all did this and I did an eight hour, eight hour work day and my actual job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it seemed like um, with the feed silo that if you could just dump it, if you could just like open a, a thing mm-hmm. and it would come out into the bed of the truck. Yeah. And then having some mechanism to take it from the truck and put it in the trough without having to fill these individual buckets. That seems like a labor-intensive, time-intensive task. That would be significantly more efficient. Well, I'm just pulling Absolutely. stuff out of it. <laughs> no, you're, it's right. It would be significantly more efficient. What about the codes on the, the feeding codes? Is there any way you could like improve that process? Technology would help with that too. And uh, if you had, in what way? If you had um, the feeding codes that you put into a system, like some sort of computer system, and had it attached to this thing that's going to immediately, you could type in this. Ah, the you could whole type thing in. Yeah, so feed we're in we're in number seventeen. We're in pasture number seventeen. So you just hit the button seventeen, and you already processed in hmm. whatever feed that needs to happen. So you just pull up, and it would automatically seventeen gets uh, 225 pounds of feed, so it launches that. Interesting. So Anyway, just walked in, and we're trying to get her to tell us yeah. more about what her was farm it? Well, that was, feeding. It was, it, it was very fun because it was actually, it was, well, Cindy, me, and then we tortured my kid, and then in the afternoon we had another badass bitch with beef <laughs> join us. And uh, so that was particularly fun. So with the three of us, that was, it was kind of kooky in a good way. How could you make the whole process more efficient? When you see these troughs, it's a setup and I don't, I can't remember the exact name because it's brand new to me, but they replace the fence and then they're on like a slide. And so you start the trough at, let's say at the 
south side of the pasture on the fence. And then your truck has this mechanism attached. And so you feed from the truck with a minimal, it's some type of small hydraulic system. And so you have this arm extended and the feed comes out so that really becomes a one man operation easily without having to haul 942 pounds to every pasture by 30 pound buckets. <laughs> so what what is it what would it take you to get one of these automated things? Well, last I heard is number 1 I need to contact it's the um, Virginia either Department of Forestry or one of our one of our government entities that takes care of farmers and they have all the information and fortunately through our cattle manager who is a genius Shout out to Lindsay Easton, Bembedew <laughs> Farms. Hey, hey. And is this a friend of yours who, he, who's helping you? This or? is the the yeah. Well, it's a friend. He's been working for the company for for a few years actually, and he is the guru of how to take care of cattle. How they if they're healthy, if they're not healthy, how much weight they're gaining just by looking at them separating them as it as they grow to make sure you know minimize fighting and that there's mm. some of the obviously as cindy mentioned some of the animals have horns and so they get into fights you got to make sure that they're safe all that so he knows everything that you would ever need to know about everything related to farming and he's raised cattle his whole life he runs it for many farms he helps he consults with many farms and is he local to Virginia? Oh yeah, he's he... been Venue Farm over in Washington. Washington. Little Washington. What is that? Where is that? Where the Aunt Little Washington is the oh, it's that way, Rappahannock County. Oh okay, Rappahannock. Okay. Yeah, so it's that way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Garrett. <laughs> yeah, let me pull up my maps. <laughs> so uh, horns. Why do some cows have horns and some don't? Just genetics. Oh. Okay. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. No rhyme or reason. Tell us about Agent 35. She's the bomb diggity and the prettiest <laughs> and the smartest, and she's going to live forever. She's, hey. one of, she's one of the cows with the genetic predisposition to warm up to humans for some reason. Yeah, that she was right, because she came, she was just a pick, you know, one of the first, first heifers. Well, she wasn't a heifer, but no, she would have been a heifer. So she had Wait, what's a is a heifer a pregnant cow? No, no, no. It's a never never it's a virgin. Oh, heifer's a virgin. Yes. Oh, so Well, actually it's not a virgin. It's that she's never birthed. Oh, okay. So wait, 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 wait. So a baby cow, what do you call a baby cow? A calf. And then what does it go to? Well, then you decide if it's going to be a bull or a steer and like we have the new ones that are coming, we have to sort them soon and pick Decide. I want to pick four out of all the bulls that are going to be the next genetics. So they're in a couple of years going to be the new daddies taking over from these wagyu daddies. So how do you determine who's going to be the 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 genetics? Is I, with well, horses, it's about by like the yes. confirmation, which is like the body, and then how much sperm they give. Those kinds well, of things. Well, in this case, okay. So in this case, because the wagyu are all registered and so we know who the daddies are and the mamas so we would first look at their own genetics and then decide who looks the best because you could have the best mom and dad and still not be you know you could have all the recessive genes and be small or whatever and so it's 
It's really, it's well, also Lindsay because he knows everything. And so he's, he's, he's like, okay, now look at the breath. Look at the this and the different. The confirmation. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean by confirmation? The, confirma- the, the form, exactly what she's saying. Form. Yep. Okay. Like their structure, their stature, um, how they move, making sure they don't have any like knee issues or yeah. hip issues. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And like how active they are. Are they crazy? Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like that. Very cool. So you got to pick four of those to be the new gen- the next generation. Correct. Well, what's your pipeline? What's my pipeline? Yeah, so you, you get these fats, right? You, you, you well, have we, these fats, these cattle that are re- almost ready to go well, to you slaughter. Have every, we, we're different because we're not a cow-calf operation. So most of the farms around here, and actually they're just very common, are cow-calf operations, which is you... You raise them, you breed them, and you sell them. Mm-hmm. And you don't take them past, some people don't take them past weaning. Some people, like we just sold a herd, 70 of our full bloods, and they were just, uh, they're all pregnant. Full so blood Wagyu or Angus? Full blood Wagyu, 70 of them we sold, but they were all pregnant because the guy wanted pregnant cows. So, so he's starting his own farm, than, right? Right. So that and was so he's not looking for something... Uh, to slaughter and, and get meat from. Well, you might be sure. Not near term, but not near term, right? Because right, grow his herd. Well, it depends on what he wants. Yeah, he could either grow the herd or he could have the after the calves are born. You know, within two years, slaughter them. So that could be, you know, an immediate cash if you want to slaughter all. You know, seventy. Now, well, two year olds at that point, two to three. You don't want to go past three. You don't want to go past thirty months. Why? Because okay. it, then it's more expensive. Because the government says. That, uh, <laughs> that cows... A non-disclosed organization. <laughs> and a non-disclosed organization says that cows over 30 months have to have their spinal cord removed and <gasps> all of that removed during the slaughter. So they have to take out all the bones. Oh, and they're already see. dead, dude. Oh, It's a dead cow. Okay. <laughs> the problem is it costs a uh-huh. ton more money to uh-huh. slaughter it oh. because it, of mad cow disease. Oh, we don't have mad cow disease anywhere here. It's silly, but it's really bad, and it doubles practically the cost of processing, Oof. which is already very expensive. Well, maybe not double, but a lot, and you can't get any slots around here. Wow. So Virginia is full of slots. I mean, no, there <laughs> are no <laughs> slots. There are no slots. So what's what's the drive? Why aren't there any slots? Because there are not enough processors, and the processors do the best they can to do as good of a job as they can uh, with limited resources, I guess. Uh, you know, it's, it's the butchery is an art and it's hard to find a processor that respects that aspect of the slaughter. Wow. Which is why we really want to eventually, in the hopefully near future, figure out our own mobile slaughter unit and then do our own processing, our own butchering so that we are truly self-sufficient. And not all, I mean, it's, it's mostly about being able to control your inventory from start to finish. Mm. So it's literally like birth to table. 
we are yeah. Like a cradle to grave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cradle to grave and then and then for dinner and, and you know But you know everything they yeah. eat, you know their their breeding, you know everything but about them, you know their treatment know many, and yeah. how amazing they are. And, and what their marbling's gonna look like yeah. and the food that you feed them affects the marbling and the longer you can especially with Wagyu because they're such a odd breed to actually raise, they take longer to get as finished as is ideal so you have to factor that into the whole timing where and and our calving season is year-round so that's another difference between us and just a regular cow-calf operation it's usually just false and uh, spring how many times do calves are cows going to heat they go once a month they're just like people it's weird really Yes, because what you do is you have your open Angus's Angus guy. <laughs> you have your open Anga. Oh, that sounds naughty. It does, in a field, and then you put the bull in, and then you keep that bull in for let's say sixty days, and so now you know that that bull, when you're tracking the genetics, is the one that would be the daddy if you were say from January one to March one, and then mm. let's say. You do your prep checks then, and there's one or two that are open. Some cow operations would say, okay, you know, sell her, she's done. We, we, we are, have a couple of more cycles, not more than one or two, because then um, it's just not, it's not a healthy cow. Yeah. So it's like you really do have to know every aspect on the live cow side, and then, you know, the steak side, that's, the whole other aspect of the business, but that's not as, to me, that's not as fun. How do you track all the cows? Like, how do you even know who's out there? Like the ones, the Highland and Agent 35, and because I walked up in the snowstorm on a meeting the other day, <laughs> which was awesome. <laughs> and my hat, they're like, where are you in Antarctica? I'm kind of yes, close. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I was hanging out with those guys. But how do you, like, especially when they're out there and just on, hey, how do you, like, even track where they are? Um, it, People like Lindsay train you how to look for things and how to watch them. And you use binoculars and you'd go up hmm. there in the middle of the night and like this storm that, not the storm, but we have like a huge cold snap coming. It's going to be terrible, terrible. And so it's going to be critical to go up at, you know, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, you know, God willing, not two or whatever, but to make sure that if there's any live births, which are 99.9% going to happen, um, because of the barometric pressure, Lindsay told me. No kidding. And it totally affects it. Like when it goes, wow. when it, when the babies high? pop out. Oh, or high, hello, I don't know, whatever it is, but he said it's changing. <laughs> it's it's changing, ready. go check it out. Well, it's all, it's, he's, he's very direct and he knows I, I, I like, just tell me how it is. And so you got, in this case, we are, if anything is born live, we have to take it immediately to the barn. Oh. Not even, Try. It doesn't matter if the mama wants it or not. It's to get it out of the cold, and if you miss it, then it's oh. bad. Because they can't. The the, the mama can't it's keep too the cold. calf alive in no. the cold weather. Not at that cold. Not not at that that cold. Can you re um, engage the baby with the mom, like reinitiate that relationship, or is it too late at that point? Mm. Like um, later on. Once it's on, I don't think we've ever tried. I don't think we've reinitiated. I don't know. I don't. I'm trying to think. There's been. We've had a lot of bottle feeders. Yeah. 
that's my favorite thing. That's my favorite thing. I know. That's why I think that we should keep that one bottle. Oh yeah, totally. Just by bo- not just as a pet, but as a bottle feeder. Well, as We're an educational tool. Talk. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But it'd be fun. Guy Thorpe was horrified at the picture of a big cow sucking off a bottle. Oh, but it's why? so cute. Because oh, he's a real cattleman. Well, what's what a real cattleman do then? You wean the the calf. And it, you can cold turkey wean them, or you can do it like we are, which is, you know, painfully slow because we all don't have baby children anymore, and our children are horrible 15-year-olds that talk back to us. <laughs> and so the feeding the baby calf, even though it, 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 it gives us, you know, it, it's rewarding. <laughs> so. It was pretty amazing, I got to tell you. <laughs> See? Oh, Lord. Uh, I got, oh, sorry. How many calves are born here each year, do you think? It depends on how many cows. Yeah, I know it depends on average. No, but, um, well, we just had, what, 60 calves in the last, so roughly, do you hear that? Yes, your dogs are crying. So, somewhere around 120-ish, 150. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Well, because if there's two to three, yeah, well, let's, I'm just thinking of the most recent was the um, 63 and 60 births. So, okay. And, and it was just one batch, if you will. Cindy said you had somewhere around 100 head of cattle right now? That we fed. Do you know one thing Lindsay taught me? What? This is, and this is not anything to you. You're, I'm just laughing. It pops into my head. Do you... I asked Lindsay and his uh, apprentice now, you know, what is it? The butterfly goes from the cocoon and now the teacher is a teacher or something. Whatever. His apprentice is now like this expert cattle guy. So Mm. both of them together are helping, you know, teach and take care of things and all that here. And, That's uh, so amazing that you have that mentorship. I just want to say that. (laughs) Oh my God, you don't even know how. We, this farm would be gone without those Mm. two. Well, Lindsay, I mean. And then Pete jumped in big time. So, uh, but you never ask a man how many cattle you have. Nope. I mean, and they were totally serious in the trucks. I'm like, how many head of cattle do you have? She's like, Karen, you never ask a man how many head of cattle he has. It's like Why? asking how many. It's like asking a man how much money he has in the bank. Uh, no I don't, kidding. I don't have a problem with that either. Right? <laughs> James. Yeah. And then there's James. Full transparency. Yeah, let's talk about it. And I just thought that was fascinating. That is. But, but, it's a very um, different culture. Yeah. Yeah. And how so, was it being a woman breaking into that culture? Mm. Well, it's actually <laughs> awesome because. Um, I think if you are, well, okay, I introduced myself to this culture by seeing afterbirth for the first time and throwing up in front of the cowboys. <laughs> and then the second introduction was I was, I was so excited because I was going to really get to help sort them myself, you know, between the big and the little and the middle. Walked down the hill to shake his hand, a new cowboy, and I wipe out and I just slide on my ass all the way down. So I'm on the, I'm looking up at him in true way fashion. Oh, and then he's, and he then he reminded me I threw up in front of him the first time I had met him several years prior. Um, so yeah, it, it, has it gotten and easier? I, huh? Has it gotten easier? Yes. 
Well, what, yeah, because it's gone from being throwing up at the site of afterbirth to trying to prepare to reach my arm up into a towel and twist the baby so I can get the damn leg unhunged and then go pull it out. Okay, so oh, how did you, God. I mean, this is like a dramatic change. How did you change your mindset to be able to do these things? Sometimes you just find yourself in a different career than you would have ever anticipated. And it just so happens that it was fortunate. I mean, because the time I had spent here prior to actually farming, farming, I... I rode my cows, I played with my cows, so I knew my cows anyway. But now it's just a different, a different, now it's just the business side, in addition. Hey, so being a Chicago attorney to <laughs> working on a farm as a cow herder, what do you enjoy more? What? What From being a Chicago attorney to being a, oh. a, a cow this is Person. bloody phenomenal, but I don't think I would be as good, not that I'm good, but I don't think I'd, uh, yeah, I don't think I would be able to even contemplate managing something this large hmm. without having been in that environment because it's, it's, hmm. it's so many facets, like we were saying, from making sure that we're in time to, to grow the clover, you know, we're doing the broadcasting of what seed and ordering the seed. And mm. oh, by the way, don't forget to order the feed, feed the cows. And mm. oh, by the way, they need an order downtown by two o'clock, but the feed truck's coming and we got to do a sales call. So, I mean, it's mm. literally, it's every facet of, 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 of a farm and a business. And as the business expands into other arenas, you know, if we could do events, which would be nice, you know, and you want to do corporate and weddings and those kinds of events? Yeah, definitely, because the, the our, our friends and family that have had weddings and, you know, we've had oodles of private events. It's been perfect. It's been a lot of fun. And so that would be good to make some money on that. And there's a beautiful house. Yeah, and you have a beautiful house here that um, is, when was it built? Uh, late... Uh, 1700s, early 1800s. And then the cabin up front that we're restoring now, that was mid-1700s, as was, this was uh, the cabin in the back where George Washington stayed while surveying the area in Culpeper, Clark County, um, and Fauquier County, obviously, as evidenced by his journal entries that I do have a copy of re referencing this area. And... I'm excited to metal detect. Now that's going to be oh, a gem. That's going to be amazing. The the property we just acquired is part of the original 2,000 acre estate that was split off, subdivided up uh, in the 20s, and then we reassembled in 2007, 700 of the acres, and then uh, a few months ago we acquired the parcel across the street, reassembling it then. Uh, another 64 acres of the prime grazing land. Wow. So that just made life so wonderful because hay is expensive and mm. this is free food. Yeah. And so you want good grass. We're going to obviously put lots of yummy clover in it. And, you know, so it's that's really helpful because as large as the property is, it's it's limited grazing land and it's hilly. So it's all sorts of other challenges other than just, you know, worrying about the, I don't know. <laughs> I can say, oh, like, pick one, I don't know. 
But anyways, but... What do you do to encourage the pasture growth? Have a rich well, pasture for them to munch on. Yeah, well, that's exactly what we're working with, right? Working on right now is getting ready because I just came in in the September. So anything, you know, it's, I didn't, uh, I wasn't part of the fall kind of fertilization winter prep. But so for the spring, we'll be like we're starting to broadcast clover. And, you know, from there, we're going to be doing soil samples to see what other type of fertilizer we might want to use because I like the chicken ship model and but that's a long that takes a couple of years to really kick in mm. and we haven't done that in a few years and in, in too many years and so now it's kind of like starting over with the chicken ship cycle but then finding a commercial fertilizer that still stays true to our organic and natural approach and I don't even know if that exists you know in terms of and it may be just suck it up and deal with the time lag on the chicken shit but chicken shit is the way to go it is, is not cheap is so so chicken shit is something you have to purchase you um, you don't no, have enough uh, I asked uh, I tried to figure this out if we could have a mobile chicken unit yeah right because I know that would make so much sense I guess one of one of uh, one of the gurus of farming around here um He's down south, and I'm blanking on his name. It's from the book that if you haven't. Did you read the Omnivore's Dilemma? No. Oh, dude. It's the like Omnivore's Dilemma inspired my likingness of this place because then I got to do a presentation at um, my uh, what do you call it? my god niece's school in Baltimore. And they had read the book, and they're Michael Pollan, right? Michael Pollan, the Yeah, the Omnivore's Dilemma. Yes. Okay. That is cool. What, Good book recommendation there. Oh, it's it is key, and uh, it's you know obviously some parts of it are a little floofier side of. Well, anyways, just read the book. I'll well, these kids read it too, and so when you were talking, well, these are really it, smart kids, but yeah, yeah they. They, it, they are anxious now to come to the farm, like we were talking about other classes that we brought out here to do soil samples from you know, my son's school and do soil samples, see the cows, aside from just like the parties that we have for the school, but it's, it's also like a science spinoff. Mm. And what I wanted to do was try to integrate a program linking in the economic development program for the city of Marshall that was supposed to be working with my son's school and then tie it in so this would become sort of the the living laboratory for an economic development project showing how uh, literally start to finish and how your community can be fed infrastructure to support the the community the relationship between the different types of businesses and and people would understand where their food comes from because well, people don't get that oh when you read this this is why i care so much about those damn ear tags and you were asking me how do you know who's who or something mm -hmm. so first of all you do get these ear tags you can either tap not yeah you can tattoo them or you can brand them or you can cold brand them and cold brand do they have like microchips well you get yeah, do you know how hard it is to go up and read a cow's micro, a bull's microchip? That's what is a great idea. And so you, 
They have like a chip they put in their ear. Well, like, look, like even for dogs, they have like blow Yes, but then you wand them and it gives you all the information. Does that go into like a website where you can like look at a map and see where everybody is? Not a GPS. It is not. Because for dogs, they have that. So you think for cats, they are for cats. For cows, they are cows. I don't know. But, um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, so they that's how you track them the ear tags and yeah. uh, this EID system so that they actually, especially when you're trying to track the genetics and keep up with who's the daddy and mm, all that, yeah. it's critical to have so, tracking. So, you said the ear tags are really important, and what's the critical piece? And you said this book helped you understand why that's so critical. Oh, people yeah, if you didn't interrupt her. Yeah, Sorry. <laughs> people want to know where their meat comes from. And they want to know that when they eat their, their hamburger, is it coming from 55 different cows or is it mm. coming from yeah. one cow? Oh. I would say two cows. Uh, what cows are they? Well, I can tell you what cows they are. Well, what did they eat? They had this. Hmm. What did they, you know, how are they slaughtered? I can tell you everything about your meal. And wow. That's important if you care about clean food, yeah. which is what that's about. Hmm. Yeah, which goes back to the fertilizer because the fertilizer for exactly. the Exactly, yeah, that's a challenge. The food and, and, you know, where you're growing is really important. And, and it is, you know, I know organic farmers, the capital O organic farmer does it, Um we it's 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 a very expensive proposition to be a capital O organic farmer. Well, especially because you said you had historic properties on your property. Well, that's the issue. Yeah, we can do everything organic. We have organic food. We have organic pastures. Everything is natural. They're free range. Free range. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's complete. But because we're a historic farm, there are things whether it's the, the type of fencing or the, the pressure tree, the history of the type of fencing that we can't change without, first of all, crushing the historic nature. And mm. even if we could replicate it as one of a neighboring farm has done, the farmer had the resources to go through an, an incredible certification process. So she's able to sell her food as capital O organic, which is huge. But it... It not most farmers can't afford that, and it's and it's too rigorous. You're trying to raise your cattle, and and you're using, doing all the lower all the organic things without being able to certify because of other irrelevant criteria that you must meet. And capital organic doesn't take into account necessarily the humane treatment of your cattle, unlike GAP certification, which we are eligible for and, and are pursuing, which is um, also contemplates how the animal is treated, the conditions under which it's raised. Um, so basically, if you get a GAP certified steak, you know that cow had an amazing life. <laughs> and as, as my yeah, partner Melissa <laughs> As my partner Melissa says, the only bad day that cow had was its last, mm -hmm. and that's after its last meal. So, well, kind of, so to speak. But yeah, so it's um, that's the perspective is that you want everything clean, traceable, mm -hmm. and that's what the foundation and for the community. That's the key. That is. Mm. Um, that's why, I mean, and that's what I said, that's what the key to me is on the mm. whole thing. And that's what I said on my first 
social media post. <laughs> so like, proud. <laughs> I know. I was like, this is what we stand for as of September 1, yeah, 2020. They, they, Karen, and tell it, us how many pounds you donated. Um, how many pounds of beef, right? Oh, God, we're, we're <laughs> yes. well over, well, beef and pork, but mostly beef. We've got well over 10,000 at this point. Donated. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Because you believe in community. Exactly. And I even, so I was trying to go, so I was starting, obviously, super local with my backyard. Yeah. And the counties that I'm in and the ones surrounding it. And then we went a little bit bigger, and I even reached out to, um, oh, now I'm blanking on his darn name. The famous chef who's doing the huge. I sent you a LinkedIn. Pay me back. <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> Tell us his name. We'll tag him. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think he must have thought I was. Not Gordon Ramsay. I don't think he thought Gordon I was. Gordon all I know. No, 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 no. Everybody knows his name, and I'm just drawing a blank. He's in. His headquarters in D.C. He during COVID got really ramped up. And went all around and started making sure that restaurant employees that could help cook, since they were unemployed, would cook food that was left over um, from because nobody could eat. Not left over, but you know, still in the freezers, had to be used or was going to spoil. And so he started this huge organization that I'm completely blanking on its name. But, Jose Andreas? Yes. Okay. And but I actually was more pleased with the group we ended up hooking up with, which was kind of, I could say, a mini version of, of their, what they do, and that's Old School Kitchen. And uh, Chef Clark is amazing. He is, takes food from donated food, and we try to get there at least once a month, and they make pre-cooked meals for families. Mm. And they do like 400 meals a week, so it's 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 right there in our backyard. It's helping people, and and because the food banks were running really low, especially during the COVID times, and that's why we were like, okay, this is. And, and granted, September I, things were calming down a little bit, but the whole point is they were still empty, and it was still. One lady said the glitz of donating had faded by summer mm. because apparently everybody when it was easy to donate oh. at the beginning of covid when they shut down restaurants and they shut down yeah. this and that everybody mm. was very enthusiastic but then it dwindled and by the way people are still unemployed and hungry yeah and, and it's getting worse and <laughs> kids are at school mm-hmm. so the beautiful thing oh. about um the fakir uh fish it's the not a it's a food bank but also food it's fish fakir fish and they, we, we worked with them over the holidays in particular, and prior to that, they serve a tremendous number of people in Fauquier County, and, you know, we're really happy to be helping out with a lot of their food because they hit the kids. They make sure mm. that these kids are fed, and they pick up their, they, they, the kids come, they pick up, like, their box of food for the week, their, what their lunches would be at school, and they take them home, and that's what this organization in part does. So this is replacing the kids who literally have maybe one meal a day at school. Correct. And who and aren't in school, school anymore have an opportunity to still eat, to eat their one meal a day that they Yeah, their one yeah. meal a day, and the only meal that they would get all of a sudden, and they weren't going to get. Yeah. And so that's why it's so important. 
and it was good because um, my son's school participated and it, it definitely linking the idea of linking the schools with the farm and the community really came through on that one mm -hmm. and so that was good that was a, that was very very positive and uh, but then the smaller food banks like in Rappahannock you know that was awesome because they needed they needed a lot of food and they're right here yeah so it's like you know Dr. Laird always he's he's good he may, he takes care of those people so it's been a good relationship and that's been the fun part so what is one piece of advice you would give to somebody who has this dream of being a ranch owner? Like, I want to be a ranch owner. Like, what, what advice would you give them? Start small and, and yeah, start small. <laughs> and uh, What is small? You know what? After feeding today, it was like I was thinking about that. I'm like, what would be a man, uh, like, 20. 20, 20 cows. 20 cows would be a large enough, I know that doesn't, I don't know if that means breeding them or whatnot, but 20 would be more than manageable. For um, one person. For one person on a smaller ranch, but know your shit before you jump in, because no, no is, yeah, no, you gotta, this is not just, oh, they're a cute little cow. These things get sick and mm. they, and it's terrible, or they give birth and something, or they, they're real live human, not humans, but you know, like real life critters. And there has to be a respect that, you know, they, they get to eat grass and be doted on, and you make them healthy, and then they give you back income and paycheck, as Pete is fond of saying. Hmm. You gotta give me a paycheck once a year, either with a calf or with your hide. Hmm. So that's, it's, that's the business side of the whole thing. How many acres do you need per cow? Oh God, Google that. That's and it also depends on your grass. Yeah, because like I'm thinking, because this is the first question I started asking. Because I'm trying to figure out how much grazing land do I need. Uh -huh. And I still, I mean, yes, there's all these stock answers, but it just depends on what the environment. Like I'm putting, okay, I'm putting 47 cows on this 69 acres that's pretty tight yeah so okay. that's going to be more of a kind of a holding to to spread out is that enough for one year feeding them for one year 64 acres for those 47 cows? oh my god no no okay. oh my god they go through they we did this temporary pasture right here and it's probably 30 acres maybe less than 25 acres 25 30 acres and they plowed through it in a week. Wow! <laughs> this grass is real short. And how many cows were in there? Um, the mamas and babies. But so the mamas. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and so we're going to graze. I'm going to do a temporary fence up front in an area that's just been a hay field. But it's not bad. There's enough grass. I can get like another week's feed out, food out of it. Yeah. Um, and then you do the cost-benefit analysis of how much does it cost to erect a temporary fence. A temporary electric fence because it's near the road. A temporary, the, you know, yeah. In order to get one more week out, that you don't have to buy hay because it's right now about any. Well, if you're lucky, it's thirty-five dollars a bale, but more like forty to forty-five oh, a bale. I'm, Ouch. I'm starting to see the complex. I mean, this is really calculus here. That you're yeah. Trying to figure out because you're the only well, reason you're feeding now is because of winter. But then when you've got some clover, you don't need to manually feed them, right? 
Oh, well, do they still need grain? No, no, no. Because of our operation, we still do grain. So you're, that's year-round? That's a year-round Well, it thing? depends on where you are in life, but we always will be feeding grain because we have the babies and then we have the fats. Oh, where they are in the life cycle. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that, yeah, because that's, so it just kind of depends. But so not all the cows get grain, but the cows who are in a specific lifestyle get grain. All cows get grass 100% of the time. Yep. Well, except for a, a short, short, short period of time in the right. end, like a week. But um, then they get grain during certain site, during certain periods of their lives. Right. Okay. So grain will always be available at the farm depending on how old you are and what you're... Right. What's happening. Okay. Yeah. And that's where you get into, like, for example, mm-hmm. Wagyu require a higher protein feed than a regular Angus. Really? Why is that? Well, uh, just because of their their stuff. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> the they take long. Yeah, well, they take longer to gain weight. They take they're smaller. They take longer. All that, and then they also um, need more protein. And huh. so, like when you do, like we have our own custom recipe, and so that you have to take into account in the recipe what breed they are. And then any specific nuances to make sure you're trying to help them grow as well as possible and, and consistently as possible. Because you also don't want, like, big, low, you know, you can't go all over the place. That's not healthy. So you've really got to maintain, you got to know their weights. you got to know, you got to know your cows. So even if, yeah, so that if they sneeze, you understand why they sneeze? Yes, it's a good sneeze or a bad sneeze. Do you, you don't keep logs of all the cattle? Anyway. Why, yes, yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what part of the business do you like the most? Do you like the business aspect of it, uh, the overall business, the management aspect, or the technical aspect of dealing with the animals and, and oh, managing them? Oh, I like them. the cows. You like the, <laughs> I like the cows. Okay. And now I like the cowboys and cowgirls because they're very cool. And they're, they're, that's the thing, that's... Tell us about your experience riding the horse and herding. I'm really good. <laughs> I believe it. And Pete needs me to help him. Obviously. He's so kind. Like, <laughs> I, he lets, he brings an extra horse so I can help. Who's and Pete? Pete is the protege to Lindsay, who now, the, okay. what is it, the grasshopper now is the teacher? Yeah. Oh, grasshopper. <laughs> Kung Fu. So now he comes the over. The mentee is now the mentor. Yes. Yeah, the mentee is the, hero's the mentor. Journey. <laughs> and so Pete does all of his work on horse. And um, so he'll bring an extra horse for me to work with him. And his wife, Kristen, who is just this kick-ass little tiny thing and tough as shit and just, just no-nonsense cowgirl. And so, and she, oh my God, it's just like, I, when I first met her, I made such an ass out of myself because I was like, oh my God, you're like Xena Princess Warrior. And she's this big, she's this little munchkin thing. And I, oh, I mean, not that I'm enamored with you, but it just went down, but she was you're very so patient. Cool. I, that's exactly right. It's a way girl thing. Oh my gosh. I, she didn't say much that first meeting. And uh, then... I think she realized it was sincere, and uh, and I wasn't too scary. 
And you've ridden horses in the past, so it wasn't like brand new. Oh no, but they're cow. They're on, they do this every day for work. Yeah. And when when they have time off to play, they practice roping and do rodeo stuff. Like it is a twenty four seven mentality. Wow. That's why if it were, uh, yeah, it would be it would be cool if you could just play with your cows all day.